Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Lord our God, how wonderful are your ways, how perfect is every decision that you make. You, Lord, are holy and righteous and good and perfect. And we praise you, Lord, and we're humbled by your grace. I pray that we don't leave here today um, without showing you how much we love you, without hearing from you, without being changed. Jesus, thank you for the grace that you give us day by day and the grace that we just got to celebrate at the Lord's Supper. I thank you that we're able to look back on the completed work of Jesus Christ and look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be gathered together with you. There'll be no more pain or sorrow. We'll get to sit at your table and eat with you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would renew our faith in the in the complete work of Jesus, that we would uh, have faith that you have truly forgiven us, that you truly are changing us. And I pray that you would give us boldness to live for you. Lord, we pray for this new year, 2022, that, uh, that we may be a people who increasingly live for you, and increasingly grow in our adoration and our love for you. And I pray that we would grow for our love for the church, that we would grow closer together as a body of believers, that we grow stronger, that we would show the world that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us day by day in this new year, that you would increase our knowledge of you that you would grant us opportunities to share uh, the gospel and, and the boldness to, to actually open our mouths and live our lives out uh, proclaiming the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would um, provide for us as a church so that we can uh, glorify you, give us wisdom to use uh, our finances for your glory. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to our hearts now in the word and give us ears to hear and faith to apply. We ask that you would help us to be of one heart and one soul as we saw in the early church in the text. Lord, I ask that you would help me to preach faithfully and to bring glory to you, Jesus, my God and my King. In your precious name we pray, amen. Kiddos, you are released, and everyone else, you can go ahead and turn with me to Luke, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I'm still in Luke, oh. Luke part two, Acts, it's better known as, uh, man, eventually I'll remember we're not in Luke. <clears throat> well, good morning and happy new year. As I was reflecting um, on 2021, and uh, I started thinking about how 2021, 2020, uh, how this, 
whole, whole thing going on has just really hindered a community. Families haven't gathered because of COVID. Churches have struggled to keep people in the seats. Small groups have, have stopped meeting or been placed on hold. And, but the more I thought about it, it, it's not just the past two years. Uh, if we think about it, technology has brought us closer than ever to one another. But it's also made us further apart uh, from one another. We've become further apart relationally, I think, than we ever have. We have very shallow, we have many more relationships, I think, but a lot of really shallow relationships. We've made community and gathering together and uh, gathering online more about ourselves and what we like and what we think. And if someone just disagrees with us, we can just log out or we can find a thousand other friends that agree with us. But that's not what the Christian community is supposed to look like. The Christian community is always about promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ and never about promoting the gospel of ourselves. The Christian community, it's radically different than the world around us. It's a group um, that's brought together only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's others focused. It's about building up one another. It's about magnifying the name of Jesus in beautiful harmony with a bunch of different pieces and parts. The Christian community is a reflection of what is going to be perfected when Christ returns. And we get to see a beautiful piece of that today in our passage. Well, on one hand, um, we see that, and then we see some weird passage that we, I love to deal with today. So as you look at Acts 4, 32... Um, and through 511. If you, if you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. I want you in the text with me today so you can see uh, what I'm reading, what I'm saying. Because um, we're going to look at two different narratives. On the one side, we have this flourishing uh, Christian community. It looks wonderful. They're doing everything they should be doing. And on the other side, we get this story of great tragedy. So one side, flourishing. The other side, corruption. Or potential corruption. So let's begin by looking at the fact that the Christian community is in Christ alone. Look at verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed, we're going to stop there. The full number of those who believed. The first thing that, that Luke is telling us here is those who believe. It's, it's our faith in Jesus Christ that unites us. We believe, they believed in one thing. If you remember, Luke is writing to uh, a bunch of Jewish people that were in Jerusalem from all over the world. We see in, if you just flip back to Acts 2, uh, verse 9 through 11, we see they were, there was Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. All of these people gathered together and, and the church explodes in growth, about 5,000 people at this time. And they're united in one thing, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, has come. 
And you and I were far off. We had been brought near by Jesus Christ as we celebrated this morning in the meal. uh, As we see in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. Just like the Jews that were there and they're they're united in belief, they're saying no longer is it Abraham that brings us together, but it's the better Abraham. It's Jesus Christ that brings us together. And you and I are grafted in and we can say the same thing. We're heirs according to the promise that we believe in Jesus Christ. So no matter your background or your social status or your race or your political ideology, the thing that unites us is Jesus Christ alone. We will, I promise you, disagree. You hang out with me for a little bit, I will disagree with you just to do it. But we will disagree because we're different. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different social structures and cultures. But the one thing that we have in common is Jesus Christ. It's in Christ alone that social structures crumble. It's in Christ alone that race does not divide us. It's in Christ alone that anything that would keep us from gathering with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, they're dissolved. And Luke goes on to describe this Christian community. Not only do they believe in the same thing, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart. One heart. On the one hand, this speaks of friendship and fellowship and love. That's what we would think about when we think about the heart. On the other hand, one heart communicates being connected at the deepest level, the deepest part of our being. We see in Ezekiel, the prophet says, and I will give them, God says through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. I'm going to give them one heart. The people of God are going to have one heart. And this connection is the redemption of Jesus Christ. We're brought together. The Christian community is made up of a bunch of different redeemed people in Jesus Christ. We're children of God. We're purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been given and partakers of the new covenant. Again, that's what we celebrated this morning. And if you are given a new heart by my Savior, Jesus Christ, then I should in no way look down on you, cast you out, fail to provide for you, we're going to see in a moment. I should in no way refuse to love you or neglect to honor you. To reject another believer is to reject a son or daughter of God. And that looks more like Satan than Jesus. And that, this is a hard passage for us to hear because he's, he's saying this is what the Christian community looks like. And, and everything in our being a lot of times is moving in the opposite direction from that. So we have one heart connected. We also have now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Being of one soul means the Christian community shares in a similar or same focus. 
were focused in the same direction, the glory of Christ and spreading the kingdom of God as far and as wide as we can. Just take a look at 1 Peter 2.5. Peter says, you yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our purpose as the body of Christ is to first bring glory to God as a spiritual house. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house together. He's not saying a million different houses. He's saying one house being built together to glorify God. Our purpose is also to live as royal priests The purpose that you are being built up in a spiritual house to glorify God, to be a holy priesthood, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ far and wide, and to live obediently, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the Christian community, we see we're we're united first, we're built upon, the foundation is of all of our uh, beliefs and, and our community is Jesus Christ alone. But Jesus also says, and, he, and we read in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the Christian community is built by loving one another. It's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, but then we start building it up by loving one another. And we saw this in Acts 2. This is community. It's not communism. So if, if we look at the text... Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Jump to verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had Need. Thus Joseph, who was called uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. This passage has been used often along with Acts 2, 44-45 to promote a, a type of primitive communism. So we need to say, what is this not saying? Uh, This is not, like I said, an early form of communism. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes, communism imposes equality. Uh, The early church there was a voluntary, there was a voluntary equality and a rejoicing in that. So the text is not prescribing us to give up everything that we own uh, or, or the early church owned nothing per- personally. That's not what the text is building here. People still had private property. They were, we see them gather in their homes. They were able to do that. The text is not saying that uh, everyone must have equal stuff. Look at verse 35. 
They laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as any had need. So the goods were distributed as any had need, not divided up equally, but carefully distributed by the leadership so that everyone was taken care of. The text is not stating capitalism or the free market is is evil thing. It could be, but uh, it could be used for evil. But they, he's not saying it's a bad thing. They sold their property and they gave as they volunteered to do so. The text is not mandating that you sell all your property. So what we do see. That's not what we, we don't see that, but what we do see is that the early church recognized that people are more important than stuff. People are, we are created in God's image. We should desire to take care of each other. These people, they were devoted to God and they were devoted to one another. They wanted to reflect the heart of God, the heart of God that we see in Deuteronomy 15. For there will never cease to be, a poor, be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in the land. He's saying, oh, they're, they're always going to be around. And we should long and desire to take care of one another. This is the heart of God. So church, we need to check our hearts. We need to check our, our receipts here. And we need to ask ourselves, is my bank account, does it reflect how much I love the community of believers and, and, and the, the promotion of the kingdom of God? Or, or does it reflect how much I love myself? Taking care of someone and denying yourself is displaying before others and the world around us the kingdom of God. It's saying stuff withers and fades, but I'm going to be with my, my family forever. It's saying I'm going to let go of the temporary and I'm going to grasp the eternal. I'm, going to, I'm going to trust the Lord is sufficient and I don't need stuff to make me happy anyways. In heaven, there's going to be no need Because the Lord is going to provide for every one of our needs. But here on earth, there are needs. There are people in in want and there are the poor. And and the text is showing us that the way that we display what will happen perfectly when Christ returns is by loving one another through the church. So we show love by providing for those in need. The first way we do this is financially. This means tithing and trusting that the leadership uh, will use the funds in the way that God leads them to use them. Look at the text, verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were of owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid them at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. <clears throat> we see again in verse 37, they laid them at the apostles' feet. They gave to the apostles. They trusted that they were going to distribute to those in need. And I have to say, I'm, I'm so proud of this church uh, in the way that you guys have provided for people in need. When... COVID started, uh, I, I really wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, everybody was buckling down and, 
you just, you never know, and you pray, Lord, I trust you. Uh, a lot of people lost jobs, but you gave above and beyond um, what you normally would, and we were able to provide for those who had lost jobs. We were able to provide for business owners to keep the lights on. We were able to have food purchased, rent paid for, bills covered. Um, just, and this, this is a weird time for everyone, and, and this church stepped up and, and covered the believers, covered those around us, covered the poor and the needy. That's kingdom living. That's what we should be doing, church. We should be helping others. The second way we can show love is by getting to know each other so that we can actually recognize needs around us. Uh, it's so easy to say, yes, let's do that. I will tithe more. It's a lot harder to say, I'm going to live among the people and create relationships so that I can see needs. And I'm not saying be on the prowl for others' personal business. That's not, I'm not saying make friends so that you can get the, the dirt or whatever. But we should be constantly be building relationships with one another so that we can help each other. There's always a need that arises, and it might not be financial, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual, but we are there to build each other up. That's what the church is here for. And we can come with that person and say, I know it's hard to go ask for help, let me go with you to ask for help. Americans are such a proud and private people. We, we really are. But the body of Christ is to bear one another's burdens. The third way is we need to be willing to say, I need help. Swallowing our pride is difficult, and I get it. I know how hard this is. I remember when Nikki and I were first um, married, we were not super smart with our money, um, and there were times when we were in need, and I had to humble myself and ask family, and it was excruciating for me. I remember sitting in my professor's office in seminary and crying because I couldn't purchase a course book or couldn't cover my bills. Like, I get how hard this is. I understand how hard it is to ask for help, but the body of Christ desires to care for one another. We've been given one heart. We want to help each other. You want to help each other. So we have to be willing to help. We have to be willing to get to know people, and we have to be willing to ask for help. By providing for our needs, we start building the Christian community. Internally, we become stronger relationships start to deepen, or they begin even. Pride starts to crumble and starts to fade away. These are all things that tear apart community, and instead of tearing it apart, we start to build up community. Bitterness and envy is washed away by the waves of love, and we start reflecting Jesus more and more and more. Externally, people start to see something is different with those weirdos at HCC. Derek Thomas, he wrote, the world's only knowledge of Jesus Christ is what it sees in the lives of Christians. If what it sees is a community more concerned for self-aggrandizement than mutual support, why would the world listen? If the world sees Christians criticizing each other in attempts at one-upmanship and self-promotion, it will turn away 
hardened to the message of the gospel. Instead, what they witnessed in Jerusalem was a community in which those who had much sacrificed for the sakes of those who had little. It was a tangible expression of love. I pray that when people look at Housing Community Church, they see a community that sacrifices for one another, that shows up for one another, that provides for one another. I pray that we're given the heart of David in Psalm 16.3. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I love the saints, David says. And I pray that that's our heart. So we have Christian community in Christ. We display our love by loving one another. And we grow the Christian community by preaching Christ. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. As we've seen in Acts so far, the Christian community, it starts to testify with great power. It happens. Uh, Jesus promises this boldness is going to come when you receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. He, he says this is going to happen, and then he gives, he pours out the Holy Spirit on the church in Acts 2, and, and then last week we see that he does that again in Acts 4.31, excuse me, if you just look back to Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Like, church, if we would get together, if we would pray for boldness, I believe that the Lord is faithful to his promises. He will make us bold. He will use us. He will fill us with the power to proclaim his excellencies, to deny ourselves and to follow him, to, to provide for one another. He will build his kingdom. I believe that wholeheartedly. And not only did the apostles boldly preach the word of Christ by his Holy Spirit power, but they were able to do so because the community was behind them. They were putting the word to action. They didn't just sit and listen to the word. They actually applied it to the world around them. They were living out the gospel. They grew as a community day by day because they were showing the people around them, not themselves, not because they were awesome, but they were showing them Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus looks like. Church, it's one thing to sit in here and hear the word, and this is a good thing. You should be here. You should hear the word. But we have to put it into practice or we're wasting our time. They also preached, and we need to preach the resurrected Christ. With great power, they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, they were giving their personal testimony. They said, we walked with him, we talked with him, we, we saw him after he was raised from the dead. We experienced him, we watched him go into heaven, ascend to the, the right hand of the Father. But we, as the church, carry on that testimony. We test, We testify of the resurrected Christ. Just as Paul says, I delivered to you... As of first importance, what I received, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. 
He was buried. He was raised on the third day accordance with the scripture. So we proclaim it in word. But church, we have to proclaim the resurrection in deed. We have to live as new creations. The resurrection is not only for the future. The resurrection is applicable right now. We are new people. We are completely different. We have a hope in the resurrection to come, but we are different now. We're the body of Christ now. And we preach Christ, and we preach the resurrected Christ, and we live the resurrected life, and the church will grow because God will grow his kingdom And then we see at the end of that text, and great grace was upon them all. The Lord blessed the early church's obedience. There were no needy people among them. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. Not a needy person among them. They grew as the kingdom of God. At this point, like I said, 5,000 people in just a few chapters. They flourished as the body. And we, in our minds, I think we think, well, then it was all sunshine and roses, right? Not for the early church. That's not what he's saying here. He didn't say, oh, and great grace was upon them and they lived happily ever after the end. No, they suffered, they were persecuted. Uh, They were kicked out of their communities. They were torn in half, sawed in two, burnt on crosses covered with tar to light gardens. They They were not, that's not what Luke is saying here. He's saying God blessed them with eternal blessings that far surpassed earthly comforts. And their community grew. So in contrast with this wonderful community that we see, I wish we could stop here and never have anything ever wrong again in the church, but that doesn't happen. We see this wonderful view of what the church looked like, but then Luke reveals this great fear that develops because of sin. We see the corruption or the potential corruption of the community of Christ. I'm going to just read 5, 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Just as a quick note, that's the same phrasing he uses for Judas. Why has Satan filled your heart? Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. After an interval for about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together 
to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men had came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. This is a hard passage. Like, wow. This is post-cross. This sounds like something that would happen in the Old Testament. So what's the issue of the land sale? Like, that doesn't seem like a big deal, right? It doesn't seem like something that should be a problem. Peter says there's nothing wrong, or there would have been nothing wrong with you keeping back part of the profit for yourself. You didn't have to sell. You didn't have to bring anything. They were not under obligation to sell property, to give the proceeds. We see that in verse 4 in chapter 5. The, the issue was they attempted to deceive not only the church, but God, which is foolish. You can't deceive God. We look at the, at the text, verse 2, it says, uh, he kept back for himself. And in verse 3, um, why did you keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? And the idea, that word that we get in English, it doesn't communicate the idea very well in English. Because we think, okay, keep back, he, held, he, he was supposed to give everything or nothing. That's, that's what's going on here. But that's not the idea of the Greek term. Some other possible translations would be to misappropriate funds or to embezzle. Uh, Titus 2.10 uses the word, it translates it, that's the only other time it's used in the New Testament, as pilfering. Um, So the corruption of the Christian community, it comes when we try to deceive each other. We start to corrode. We seek to deceive others when when we try to make ourselves look good. Instead of glorifying God, we try to glorify ourselves. And what we're doing in that case is we're preaching the gospel of of ourselves and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, look how awesome I am instead of look how awesome Christ is. And Ananias and Sapphira, they could have very easily said, we weren't able to give it all. We're just going to give this small portion here. That's what we have to give. But they didn't. What they wanted was to be recognized by the church, just like Barabbas, not Barabbas, different character, totally different story. Barnabas, we want to be recognized. We want people to see that we gave everything. We sold our land, we gave it all. We want people to applaud. And we have to check our own hearts. Am I doing this or that in ministry? Am I doing this or that for the Lord's people to honor God or to honor myself? Am I trying to puff myself up or am I trying to make him look greater? I have John 3.30 taped right here on the pulpit. He must increase and I must decrease because I have to constantly remind myself because we're prideful people. At least I am. If it's not our own, if it is, if we're living, if we're ministering, if we're giving for our own glory, we need to repent and live for the glory of God. Deception for self-exaltation corrodes the community of Christ with pride and selfishness. It seeks to draw others' eyes towards us instead of turning others' eyes towards Christ. It says, look at me instead of look at Jesus. 
We also seek to deceive others when we serve ourselves instead of serving the community. The early church gave um, to bring up the lowly. That's why they were giving. That's why they were selling everything. That's why they wanted to help each other out. They wanted to, to provide for the lowly and the weak. But giving so that others could see is seeking to exalt ourselves instead of, instead of it's seeking to exalt ourselves and lower others. It's the exact opposite of love. It's self-love. It's, it's self-exaltation. It corrodes the community of Christ because people with this heart always are going to see themselves as higher. And this deception is serious. It's equated here with attempting to deceive God. Paul reminds us, remember, you're a temple of the holy living God. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together joined, or grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He says, remember who you are. This is not just a social club, he says. You're a, a temple for the living God. And we see an important parallel here in Acts with Joshua 7, 1, to, Joshua 7, 1 through 11, really. We're not going to read it all, though. So the people had just come into the promised land and, and they had just taken Jericho and they're told to conquer the land and to destroy all of the, the proceeds. They're not supposed to keep it for themselves. So we read, but the, pre the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And Israel has sinned, God says. They had transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They had taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And they were told not to do this because they, they were taking the things that were devoted to God and, and that offended God, not because he's selfish with his toys, not because he doesn't want to share anything. It offends him because it's a rejection of his commands. And when we fast forward to our passage today and we see the parallel in Ananias and Sapphira and they seek to deceive God and they seek to deceive the church around them. So God hands down this intense judgment to reveal how serious the lack of, or not the lack of, how serious selfishness and the lack of faith in the holy God is in the Christian community. Individuals seeking to exalt themselves fall in the same Sin as Satan did, seeking to receive the glory that's due to God alone. Look at verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Verse 9. Peter said to Sapphira, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord?
corruption in the Christian community comes when we fail to take sin seriously. Some say, oh, why didn't Jesus' blood cover the sin of Ananias and Sapphira and, you know, there's now no condemnation. And uh, I think there's a great disconnect in a lot of Christians' heads that God doesn't see sin anymore. Like, Jesus died on the cross and covered all sin, so God now just covers his eyes until we get into glory. It doesn't, he doesn't care because it's been paid for. But that's a cancer in the church. God's pained by sin. The Holy Spirit is grieved by sin. He's, he sees it. And even though Jesus paid for our sin, it doesn't mean that we're free to cheapen grace and sin freely. The Lord judged the sin of Ananias and Sapphira to keep them from sinning further and to protect the flock around them. He loves his people. He's going to protect his people. And Paul even talks about abuses of the Lord's Supper in in 1 Corinthians and how some are getting sick and they're even dying because they're not taking sin seriously because they're abusing people around them. This is... Uh, not the most popular thing to preach on January 2nd. But God disciplines those whom he loves. And sometimes that discipline is death. If we as Christians, we laugh at sin and, and we take sin lightly in our lives and in the lives of those around us, he's saying, you're corroding my church. You're tearing my church around. That's why Paul so often is saying, make sure you guard the church, Timothy. Make sure you you purify the teaching. Make sure you you apply church disciplines, not to be mean, not because God is cruel, but because he doesn't want to tear others down around you. God does not take sin lightly. He loves his flock so much that he would die for his flock. Corruption of the Christian community comes when we fail to fear God. Look at verse 11 in chapter 5. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. We talked about fear last week a little bit. But anytime our focus, it goes from pleasing God which would be the fear of God, I desire, I long to please him, I want to live for him, to pleasing humanity, we fear man over God. And that will always corrode the Christian community. If I get in this pulpit and I say, I know that preaching that God takes sin seriously is not good, it's not, um, well, it is good, but it's not popular because people are not gonna like that. And if I did not preach that, I'm, I'm, I'm disrespecting God, I'm not fearing him because he tells me to preach the whole counsel of God. So we would do well to grow in the fear of the Lord to even understand what does that even mean? He calls us to live, to be holy as he is holy. Finally, the corruption in the community must be judged. That's why we see this 
episode. It doesn't happen every time. It's not normative. That doesn't mean um, if you've lied or deceived the community, you're about to drop dead. We would be falling left and right. Um, But it means that judgment starts with believers, that God is purifying his church. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, you are, delivered, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Turn him over so that he will be humbled so that he's not going to corrode the church around him. He tells Timothy, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, these ones who had rejected the teaching of the Lord, I've handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This isn't cruelty. Jesus tells the disciples about an unrepentant sinner. If he refuses to listen to one person and he refuses to listen to two people, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, he shall be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Those aren't people that everyone loves in, the, in that community. Church discipline is one of the most difficult and the most uncomfortable things to discuss as the church. But it has two purposes. First, to call an unrepentant sinner back to repentance, back to faithfulness. Its goal is always restoration. Its heart is always, I want you to be following the Lord. His his ways are perfect. The second purpose is to protect the flock. It's to protect the church. Sin has the ability to creep into churches, to permeate, to tear churches in half. It causes divisions. It brings and invites gossip and bitterness. And it has to be dealt with according to Scripture. So church, there's two paths set before us in this text. We can live in great grace by following our king, by loving each other, by serving one another, by glorifying God in all that we do and asking for forgiveness when we don't. Or we can attempt to hide sin, deceive one another, deceive one another into thinking we're something we're not, and the church will corrode from the inside out. May it be said of us that we look like the church in Acts 4, 32 through 37. By the grace of God, and by his spirit indwelling in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you take sin so seriously that you would send your son to die on the cross. I thank you that you take sin so seriously that you would discipline your people. And and we don't like that (laughs) discipline all the time, Lord, but we understand and we believe that it's to draw us closer to you, to keep your people um, from sinning. Lord, because the end of sin is death. It's destruction. You're leading us in the opposite direction when you do that. And, And I pray that we would see that. We would see your heart in that. Not that two people in the Old Testament dropped dead because they didn't give all their money. I I pray that we don't see that, Lord. I pray that we see that you are gracious and merciful and loving. You love your people. And you desire for us as the church, as we build the kingdom of God, for, for us to take sin seriously and to take forgiveness seriously. 
Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hard passages that we have to wrestle through. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.